So I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We're going to be in a lot of Bible passages today. There's a Bible app for this that will make the quest easier. I will try to give you passages in advance so you can flip there if you're the kind of person who likes to do that. And I always encourage you to look into your Bible uh, because that is really the source of our authority. Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to be. And uh, we're going to talk about Jesus and when he's coming back. Uh, you know he is coming back, right? And some people are like, wait, Jesus is coming back. Uh, where do you get that? Well, it's one of the most basic of Christian concepts. In fact, the last time that Jesus saw, or his disciples saw him, when they were all gathered together, they were on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus is speaking to them, and he says to them in Acts chapter 1, if you're following along in verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then look what it says in verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Huh, how about that? You notice the language there. This same Jesus will come back in the same way you've seen him go. Now, if you would, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to read some text there as well, 1 Thessalonians 4. When I think about this same Jesus coming back, I think, so how do you view his return? Are you the kind of person who ponders that? Or are you the kind of person just confuses you? You're like, I just don't get that return of Christ thing. I remember one time I was talking to someone who was poo-pooing the issue of Christ's return. I said, have you read the book of Revelation? They said, I don't know what John was thinking when he wrote that. (laughs) It's the Bible, buddy. (laughs) You know, I don't know what you're thinking, right? Are you the kind of person that just never gives it a second thought? Today, I want to show you that the second coming of Christ is something good for you to give a second thought to. It's something good for you to ponder. It's something good for you to look to throughout your Christian life. We're going to read three more passages as we begin this morning. And the first one is right here in 1 Thessalonians Chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 13. Now, this is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to a group of Christians in a place called Thessalonica. And he says in verse 13, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who fall asleep in him. So you get the point. He's talking to this group of brand new Christians, and he's saying to them, I don't want you to be concerned about the people who've died. We believe that Jesus died and came back, so we believe that he will bring those people back from the grave. And we talked about the resurrection not long ago here. So look at verse 15. He says, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who've fallen asleep. So it's not like people have died, they're second-class citizens, and we're the guys who are going to heaven. No, he says, we will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, 
with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So you can see that this return of Christ is something that corresponds with the resurrection of the dead. It corresponds as well with being caught up in the air uh, to meet meet them. By the way, every now and then you'll bump into someone who will say, you know that word rapture? People talk about the rapture, which means being caught up in the air to meet Jesus. People talk about the rapture. That word isn't even in the Bible. That's right, it's not. It's a word that we use because it's too long to say caught up in the air to meet him. We just say rapture. That caught it, right? That says it all. Yeah. Let's keep reading in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Okay? Verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and the dates, we don't need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so this day should surprise you like a thief. You're all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then... Let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. Those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether awake or asleep, we may live together. Therefore, encourage one another. And build one another up just as, in fact, you were doing. Okay, so he's saying for Christians, this idea of the return of Christ is a beautiful thing that should encourage us. For those who aren't Christians, not so much. Now, I'd like to ask you to flip to the book of Titus. We're going to look at Titus chapter 2, and we're just going to read about three or four verses there. Titus 2 is where we're going to be. Titus is um, a, a young pastor. These words are written by the same guy who wrote the Thessalonian stuff, a man named Paul. He's kind of uh, Titus's mentor. So if you look at Titus chapter 2, starting at verse 11, verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Again, catch the phrase there, we wait for this blessed hope. And so what he's saying is the return of Christ is the thing that we hope for, and it's blessed. Christian Missionary Alliance Stand says it this way, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is imminent and will be personal, visible, and premillennial. This is the believer's blessed hope and a vital truth, which is an incentive to holy living and a faithful service. Now, as we give thought to this, I want to talk about three different things. I'm going to talk to you about the timing of Jesus' return. Oh, that sounds interesting. Second, I want to talk about the nature of Jesus' return. And third, I want to talk to you about a good perspective you can have, a helpful perspective you can have on Jesus' return. 
Now, when I say I'm going to talk about the timing of Jesus' return, don't worry, I'm not going to set any dates. The Bible could, be not, could not be any more clear concerning the foolishness of setting dates. In fact, it was Jesus himself who said, but about the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, not even me, nor the Son, only the Father. Jesus said that. And it is amazing to me how people weasel around that. It just blows my mind how people say that. I just want to say this. No one knows the day or the hour. Got it? That's it. And if you run into someone who says they do, run away. (laughs) Put down that book. Leave that church. I don't think I ever tell people to leave the church, but leave that church and find another one. Find a different radio station. Subscribe to a different podcast. Change the channel. Because experience shows us that people who set dates are often, they have a hidden, even an evil agenda. For example, cultists, they set dates all the time. Almost all major cults have a history that is riddled with errant predictions concerning the return of Christ. And often that person is capitalizing on your fear. And by the way, it makes for good capital. Because books, videos, and podcasts about the end times Those are moneymakers right there, you know, because people want that. So I'm just saying, I'm not saying don't study the end times. I'm saying this, someone who's setting a date, stay away from them. Regarding the timing of Christ's return, here's what we know. We know that it is yet future. It is something that is yet future. So I'm going to read to you from Revelation chapter 8 in a moment. You don't have to turn there, but you're welcome to do so. I want to talk about this because there are people who believe that the return of Christ is a past event. And that movement throughout history, it gains and loses momentum all the time. They believe that something happened in AD 70, and that was all of the end times occurring right there. In AD 70, or 70 AD, somebody might say it, an event happened in Jerusalem. The temple was destroyed. You remember Jesus saying, you know... um, There's coming a time when not one stone will be laid on top of the other regarding this temple. That happened less than 40 years later after he said it. Titus, not the book of Titus, but Titus, a a commander in, in the Roman military, was just destroying Israel, and he pulled every stone down from the temple and destroyed it completely. And some people feel like, yeah, that was it. That was the end times right there. Everything end time related happened there. And I can remember a few years ago, uh, just a couple years ago, a young man came before the Licensing and Ordination Council, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, and we got to this part in the statement of faith about Jesus' return, and this young man said, I can't agree with the Alliance statement of faith because you see Jesus coming as yet future, but he already came in the events of AD 70. And a very patient older pastor said to that young man at the end of the table, Would you please open the Bible that's in front of you on the table? Sure. Open it to Revelation chapter 8 and begin reading at verse 6. Okay, I'm going to do that. Then the seven angels who had seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down to earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up. A third of the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all blaze was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea turned into blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. 
third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky, and a third of the rivers, and uh, I'm sorry, on a third of the rivers, and on the springs of water. The name of that star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. A fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so a third of them was turned dark, and a third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. And the pastor, the older pastor, said to the candidate, can you point to any historical account of these kinds of global catastrophes unfolding in AD 70, or actually in any time past? And the young man said, no. And the older pastor leaned back and said, you probably want to rethink your position. <laughs> Good point. Now, there are many other reasons I would say that the return of Christ is yet future, but that happens to be one of my favorite stories, so I'll use that one. The return of Christ is yet future, and it can occur at any moment. I'm going to read from Matthew 24 in a few moments. Uh, Jesus demonstrates this idea that his return is imminent, can come any time. He has this parable of these ten maidens, or the parable of the ten virgins, who are going to go to this, this bridal affair, and um, half of them are ready and half of them aren't, and now when the, when, the, when the party comes to take them, when the groom comes to take them, uh, some of them aren't ready. They weren't expecting him. It could happen at any moment. And Jesus says, therefore keep watch, because you don't know the day or the hour. It can happen any time. I read a story this week that I thought was really cool. It, I, I, I was surprised that I'd never heard this before because it so well illustrates timing of Christ's return and, and how uh, it can be at any moment. We don't know the precise moment, though. story goes like this. There's a father who had to leave to go on, on a work-related trip that was going to last for a few months. He had a little boy that was three years old. and The little boy said, Daddy, when will you be back? And, and the father knew that that three-year-old is not going to understand these words. I'll be back in four months. That, that don't mean nothing to him. He's going to be able to understand that. So this wise father says to the little child, he says, just keep your eyes on the trees. And when they start to change from green to yellow, orange, and red, you know it's time for daddy to come back, and I'll be back any time around that. That's what Jesus does for us. Jesus doesn't give us a date, but he tells us to look for things that'll show us that he's coming soon. And some of those signs that Jesus gives are in Matthew 24. Starting in verse 5, for example, he says, many will come in my name, claiming I'm the Messiah, and they'll deceive many. Have you seen that happen? (laughs) I have. And I'm pretty young, right? Verse 6, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but still the end is to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All this is the beginning of birth pains. Then you'll be handed over and persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of increased wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I feel like a lot of those things are already underway, right? I feel like the the leaves are turning on the trees. Jesus' return could commence at any time. By the way, I have to tell you this too. It will occur before the millennium. And uh, we're not going to read that, but that's in Revelation 20 that that's spoken of. I know some of you are thinking, thinking, I don't even know what the millennium is. 
what does that even mean? And so I'm going to tell you what it is. There, there, at, at the end of time, at the end of time, there's this thousand year period where Christ reigns on earth. Well, let me show it to you with a chart. I can't believe I'm doing a chart. I am not a chart guy, okay? But let me just show it to you on this chart. If you look at the chart that is there, you, you see that on, on this end, um, there's a cross. And of course, that's when Jesus lived. And then there's a period of time, and I think on that chart, it calls that the church age. It does. Okay, so that's the age that we're in, the church age. And then there's this little section of seven years. It's divided in half, three and a half, three and a half. That's called a tribulation. Don't worry about that. Um, we can talk about that at another time. Then after that, there's this period there that's called the millennial reign of Christ, where Christ reigns on earth for a thousand years. And there's a lot of question about, does he? Is that a spiritual thing? Is that something that's going to happen and then he'll come back? We believe that that's something that will happen after he comes back. And we believe that because of Revelation 20. Six times in Revelation 20, it says he will come and reign for, for a thousand years that's mentioned there in that passage. Now, some people wonder, I don't know why that's such a big deal. I mean, there's a lot on the chart. Why are you so hung up on, on that thousand years? And that's a really good question. Because in one sense, it's not a really big deal. We can't control it. We're just going to live through it. So why don't you sit down and enjoy the ride, right? But I think the reason it is a big deal is because it, it just kind of shows that we respect the word of God. God says it in Revelation 20. So we're not going to throw it out. We're going to leave it in the picture. Um, I, I, I remember speaking to an individual and he said, there is only one time that that shows up in the Bible and it's in Revelation 20. And I said, I have two responses to that. Number one, in Revelation 20, it shows up six times in there. But the real question is, how many times does God have to say something before you'll believe it? Follow me? You know. So no, it's not a big deal, but it kind of does show that we work hard to try to take the Bible for what it says. And that's really what you can get from that. Second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is imminent. It will be personal, visible, and premillennial. This is the believer's blessed hope and a vital truth, which is an incentive to holy living and faithful service. Let's think about the nature of Christ's return. First, I just got to say this, it'll be Jesus. <laughs> it will not be some representative. Remember the passage we read in the book of Acts where the men in white said, this same Jesus who was taken up for you, he's the one who's coming back in the same way. That's how he's coming back. So when we say that Christ will return, we're not saying he returns in the form of the church. Some people might want to think that. Well, you know, Jesus is here. We are his body. The Bible says that we're the body. We're his hands and feet, his ears, his eyes. So Jesus is already here. We are his body, but we're not the very same body that ascended. So he's coming back. That Jesus is coming back. And likewise, it will be physical. He will actually come back the same way that he went up. It's not a spiritual kind of reign like, well, Jesus is reigning in my heart or in the hearts of his believers. No. Third, it will be effective. <laughs> when Jesus returns, he will execute judgment. And that picture is shown in Matthew 25. Now, sometimes I think Christians feel a little bit guilty for wanting judgment to happen, you know? And, and sometimes we don't want judgment to happen. I have people I love who don't love Jesus. And so when I think about judgment coming on their lives, I don't like that, right? And that's why I work to show them the love of Jesus and encourage them that Jesus loves them and they can find what I've found and, and that they can love him too. That's how I respond to that reality. There are other times when we think judgment. Yeah, I'm all for that. 
That guy that fired me from that job, I hope God judges him. And that's really carnal kind of judgment. Don't do that, right? But there's a third way that we look at judgment that I think is appropriate. It's a way where we say, when evil is doled out without any apology, that's got to be judged. Abuse, molestation, megalomaniacs, Hitler, Osama bin Laden. Unless they were to repent and find forgiveness in Jesus, they will face judgment. I'm just going to say this. I'm okay with that. Because God has put something inside of me and of you that says judgment needs to be doled out when there is sin with no apology. It's just part of reality. Now I want to show you a passage about judgment. I'm going to read from Matthew 25. I'm just going to read three verses. Um, And it's a parable of the sheep and the goats, the judgment of the nations it's called. There's a number of different interpretations for this. Just let me read these three verses. Listen, Jesus is writing. No, he's not writing. Jesus is speaking. Matthew is writing, and it says this. When a son of man, and that's Jesus' name for himself in Matthew, when a son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as shepherd, a shepherd separates sheep from goats. He'll put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left hand. And the judgment commences from that. What I want you to see in that is that judgment is linked to the return of Christ. And at the end of time, judgment will be satisfied and justice will be satisfied. The return of Christ will be effective. When we begin to understand these things about the nature of Christ's return, you can really develop kind of a healthy perspective on Christ's return, even a helpful perspective. For example, if you look to Christ's return for help in your time of need, you will find help when you're struggling with sorrows. Look to the return of Christ when you struggle with sorrows in this world, and you'll find help. There are sorrows in this world. Did you know that? Could you say anything stupider, Pastor Steve? Probably not. Are you grieving a loss? Look to the return of Christ. Does it seem like nothing is working the way it was planned? Look to the return of Christ. Are you feeling alone? Look to the return of Christ. Do you feel like life is unfair? There's no justice. Look to the return of Christ. Are you feeling cynical and disillusioned? Look to the return of Christ. Some people may feel that doing that and having that mindset is escapist. Like, this world is just too hard. I'm just going to have an escapist position and sit around and wait for the return of Christ. And that would be a problem. That would be a problem. But this is also a blessed hope. In times of grief, in times of loss, in times of sorrow, you can look to the return of Christ. That's just one helpful perspective on Christ's return. There are more. For example... You can look to the return of Christ when you face important decisions. We pray every Sunday. It's a new thing on our prayer sheet. It's been there about a month. It's number 34 on your prayer sheet today. We pray for young adults regarding vocational and life direction (coughs) decisions. Do you know why we do that? Because choices are important. And we know they are. 
And you can make wise choices if you have an eye toward eternity. For example, what values should I teach my children? Well, as you consider what values to teach your children, look to the return of Christ and form your value system accordingly. Or where should I direct all my energies? And as you're thinking about where to volunteer or what kind of hobby to have or what what kind of things to pursue, as you make that choice, consider the return of Christ and invest your energies with heaven in mind. What should I spend my money on? As you give thought to that, think about the return of Christ and give as one whose treasure is in heaven. When you face decisions, look to the return of Christ. Additionally, you can look to the return of Christ when you need motivation to live well. And everybody needs motivation to live well. Everyone gets tired of serving. Everyone gets worn out from it. I heard Hollis Hoff, who was a chaplain for the Pittsburgh Steelers during the glory years of the 70s, he said this sentence, I love that it stuck with me. He said, if you're tired from serving Christ, you'll sleep better. (laughs) I like that, right? I like that. But the point is, you will get tired from serving Christ. You get tired from everything. And sometimes you may feel like giving up. When you feel like giving up, look to the return of Christ. Scripture says that in the resurrection chapter. It says, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Look to the return of Christ. Are you looking to the return of Christ? Sometimes we're reluctant to do so. Maybe we've been turned off by alarmists. You know what I mean by an alarmist? Maybe we become cynical because of false predictions. Maybe we've mistakenly classified looking to the return of Christ as escapist thinking. Set those things aside. Look to the return of Christ. It may be at morn. (laughs) When a day is awaking, when sunlight through darkness and shadow is breaking, that Jesus will come in his fullness of glory to receive from this world his own. Oh, Lord Jesus, how long, how long till we shout the glad song? Christ returneth, hallelujah, hallelujah, amen. Oh, joy, what delight should we go without dying? Would you not love that? To not have to die, to be one of the ones who's raptured or who's caught up in the air to meet him. There you go, right? Oh joy, what delight should we go without dying? No sickness, no sadness, no dread, no crying. Caught up through the clouds with our Lord in the glory when Jesus receives his own. Oh Lord Jesus, how long till we shout the glad song? Return of Christ is something to look forward to. You can only look forward to it if you have turned your heart toward him and are trusting him as your savior. As the musicians come, I want to pray that we've each done that and that our minds would be focused to heaven. If you're comfortable doing so, would you stand as we pray? Lord Jesus, your return is something that we hope for as Christians. It is a blessed hope. It would be great. I'd even be glad to miss the Steeler game. It would be wonderful if you were to return even now. But we know the times and the dates, they are not in our hands. And we are content, Father, to serve you. We will not grow weary in doing good. I I pray if there's anyone here who's like, you know what, I'm not even sure 
then I want Jesus to return because I'm not sure that I'm ready. That they would, in their hearts, make themselves ready. That they would recognize that this Jesus who is returning as king has already come as their savior and laid down his life for their sins. And that they would turn from their sin and turn toward you, God. And they would trust that Jesus' death on the cross paid for their sin and remove their shame. And may they begin to walk with you. And as they do, may they see how glorious it will be when we shout the glad song, Christ returneth. We look forward to you coming, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.